With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we're recording. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a returning guest. His name is Dr. Jerry Berkman. I talked with him just last month, July 2021, about an excellent book, very well-researched book. The title of the book is The Dark Side of Darwin, a critical analysis of an icon of science. And tonight we're going to talk about a book he published back in 2013. The title of this book is Hitler and the Nazi Darwinian Worldview, how the Nazi eugenic crusade for a superior race caused the greatest Holocaust in history. Pretty dark subject. Uh, so you might not wanna have the uh, young kids listening in the background, but uh, it's a very important topic and it can show what some of these doctrines uh, have an effect in the real world. So Dr. Jerry Bergman, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. Great well, to thank, be here. Yeah, great. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Um, for people who may not know your background or hadn't listened to our last conversation, can you talk about, you know, you have many books, over 10, 20 books at this point, or more than that. Um, can you talk about kind of the arc of your research and what led you to write Hitler and the Nazi Darwinian worldview? Well, I suppose I have an interest in World War II, like many people do, and also an interest in Darwinism. I taught biology for 41 years at various colleges. And so I thought, well, gee, this would be a good area to look at. And as I looked more and more into it, I realized that central to, well, I'll quote Thomas Chiders, who was a professor of history at University of Pennsylvania. He said, quote, the greater German empire was to be a racially pure empire. Germany was the last best racial hope of mankind. He's, he's quoting <laughs> some of the authorities. But anyway, uh, that interest was partially because I'm from Detroit. And Detroit, of course, we have a very large black population. And I basically grew up around different groups, different racial groups. And of course, the idea, the interest of racism was there. And certainly when you look at racism, one looks certainly at Nazi Germany because they went farther than any other country in the world in basically trying to make Germany, well, a racially pure country. Right, and they wanted to make the countries around them racially pure too. So it was it wasn't just within the context of the German state at that time. And you repeat how many people died in World War II in your book? Fifty-five million, guesstimated. Can you and also can you talk in the intro? You talk about kind of the foundational influence of Darwin upon the Nazi outlook. Can you address how Darwin influenced? We talked a little bit about that last time, but how he influenced Hitler and his outlook. Well, Darwin had an enormous influence, although not directly. We don't know that Hitler ever read any of Darwin's books. In fact, he didn't always, wasn't always very impressed with Charles Darwin. Well, he was an Englishman and he thought he was a crude, 
person anyways, but, but Darwin had enormous influence in Germany. Ernst Haeckel and many other well-known German scientists, in fact, the majority, as far as we know, of German biologists accepted Darwinism. And therefore, these people had an enormous influence on Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler thought, by the way, that he was going along with mainline science. He didn't see his ideas as strange or unusual or esoteric. He thought basically this is what science says. Science says that some races are pure and some races are less pure. And therefore, we have to indeed make a better race, a better race of people. And he thought the Aryan race, which is, of course, a vague term, but the Aryan race, he thought, was the superior race. And of course, naturally, most Germans were uh, Aryan. And therefore, he thought that that would be the best thing because he recognized, from his viewpoint, German culture was superior to the cultures around him. So the culture is superior, the people must be superior. And so therefore, he uh, advocated this idea. And his goal was to make Germany, well, a racially pure uh, group of people. And this really drove more than any other idea. He, of course, he wanted to be a great leader. He you know, had other ambitions, but racism really was the central idea behind Nazi Germany and what they did. And I think one of the best examples of that is when they conquered Poland, they had several governors which ruled Poland. And one of the governors in the Northern part of Poland basically thought this is ridiculous. The Germans had interbred with the Poles for many years and he thought that there's no, there's no idea that Poles are racially inferior. This is not true. And so when, you, when people were certified as a pure German, or at least what they thought was a pure German, they would have this stamped in the German office. And what this general was doing was basically anybody who came in, he'd stamp the form and say, welcome, now you're a pure German. Go out and learn the language. Have a good time. and Good day. And some of his uh, colleagues, like Frick, found out about this, and he went to Hitler. And he said, basically, he's not checking these people to make sure they were a pure enough German race. And of course, they use several criteria because, again, there was so much intermarriage between the Poles and the Germans. He's just basically rubber stamping everybody. And ironically, Hitler basically said to him, look, I appointed these men to run, run certain areas of Poland. They're doing their job. And as long as they do their job, far as I'm concerned, he can do what he wants to. And he did. Actually, Hitler had a great deal of freedom in, in his uh, generals who ran the different areas of the countries that they, they uh, conquered. And so this freedom was very important to Hitler that he appointed these people and let them run the area they wanted to. And this illustrates something very important, and that is that, by and large, they basically, throughout the country, accepted the racist ideas. And so we often blame it on Hitler, which they should, of course, but on the other hand, uh, so many of his generals and high level officials were very convinced of the racial uh, views that he had that they could run it without Hitler's being, being too uh, aggressive and interceding. So, right, and, and I think you write about how Darwinism and the Dar that world uh, evolutionary worldview was disseminated through the German institutions even prior or during Hitler's reign to power, right? Oh yeah, the schools of course had taught these ideas, taught racism. And the racists that they looked at were primarily Jews because they had a fairly large population of Jews in Nazi Germany. And the Jews were somewhat culturally different, although many were well assimilated, but not all of them were. In fact, when he tried to use examples of the inferior Jewish race, he used examples of Polish Jews and others that were not assimilated. 
And so his basic goal was to convince everyone, and he did quite successfully. Not only him, but of course the scientists. In fact, there are very, very few scientists that opposed Hitler's ideas and the idea of racism in his country. So he had a, a huge amount of support for much of his uh, uh, rule. And he also kind of had a very similar view as Darwin, this kind of concept of struggle or kampf. Can you talk about those similarities between Hitler and Darwin's worldview? Well, the worldview is very, very similar because Hitler felt that the inferior races should and eventually will become extinct. And Darwin, of course, himself also felt very strongly that certain races would become extinct. And he said, it's, Darwin said, it's only a matter of time before the inferior races are wiped out by the superior races. So his ideas were very clearly enunciated in his writings, especially his uh, Descent of Man. And his writings, of course, were first translated into German before any other language. And so they had enormous influence, not only in English, because of course his original book was in English, but also in German, Germany, German countries and German speaking countries. So therefore these ideas became very in vogue and as a result, they were applied. And it did make sense. We have certain people that are inferior, they look and act inferior and there are other people that are superior. And generally these quote superior people had better families and had more success. Well, obviously culture was critically important and therefore, uh, they, they looked at pretty much everything by genetics. There is a fad at that time that genetics determines everything. And therefore, if you have a problem, it's because of genetics, genetics. and often it was, but often it was not. And they did not put, look beyond it. Of course, back then they had a very naive understanding of genetics. Right, it's all nature, no, no nurture, right? All nature, right, no nurture. And also they, I think that the religion of the Nazis, this kind of uh, materialistic, biological, almost religious concept was in contradiction to Christianity. And so you have that theme in your book also of their antipathy toward Christianity. Is that correct? Very strong, very strong concern about Christianity, because, of course, German, the German ideology said, basically, we've got superior people. We need to get rid of inferior people. On the other hand, Christian ideology is we take care of the poor, we take care of the weak, we help the, the humble, we take care of other people. And so they were really in many ways the opposites. Many of the institutions which helped the so-called weak, the retarded, the people who had, had some uh, mental problems were primarily, or at least many of them were Christian. So therefore the goals of Christianity and Hitler, Nazism were fundamentally opposed. And therefore he realized that eventually we have to eliminate Christianity. And he realized there was a lot of opposition from Christianity and he thought, well, in time and his, many of his followers felt, let's, right now, let's don't wait, let's eliminate the Christian church. Let's uh, put uh, our forces against it. And Hitler said, wait, let's do one thing at a time. Let's deal with the war, let's deal with control of the government to a greater degree and then in time, we will eliminate Christianity. And he felt besides that, Christianity is dying of its own right now. So why should we focus on the Christians when the Christian church itself was dying in Germany at that time? And of course it was. And so he, he did was have, right. And he did have some, you mentioned Martin Niemöller. So he did have conflicts, but you're right. You talk about this gradualism as, as Hitler gets more and more power, how they're going, but you talk about Hitler's 12 apostles or reference that book almost all the people around him 
were also anti-Christian and wanted to destroy Christian influence. Is that correct? Yeah, he basically, of course, probably selected or worked with people who agreed with him. But on the other hand, many people did agree with him. After all, he became the, the, the Fuhrer of Germany. And therefore, he had a lot of people who agreed with him. But I would say as a whole, the people who agreed with him were such because he got the economy going. He got people to work. He got a lot. He had a lot of benefits. He began Social Security. He began unemployment programs. He had a lot of social programs were very, very helpful. And so it's understandable why he would get a lot of support from the people. And besides that, there was a lot of antipathy against the Jews anyway. So he was simply reinforcing that. The Jews were quite successful. Many became bankers, doctors, lawyers. And there was jealousy in that time against the Jews because they were so successful. I think we see the same thing today. People who are very successful, there's resentment. These, these billionaires, we've got to do something about all these billionaires. They have so much control. So there was jealousy back then as I think they're jealousy today to some degree. And in many countries, you're resentful of people who do well to some degree. You, you're, you envy them, but on the other hand, it's unfair that he has done so well and I haven't done nearly as well. And that kind of comes out of World War I too. They kind of blamed the Jews and they survived and didn't go through the so-called, they had this kind of idea that the Jews didn't suffer enough in World War I and came out wealthy. And that was a resentful element. I think that the Nazis really played on. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. But also Hitler said, like, one is either a Christian or one is a German. One cannot be both. That's a quote from your book. So it's interesting because I have these conversations with people who say that Nazis were Christian and I... There's really, I mean, you actually asked that question, was Hitler Christian? What's the answer to that question? Well, he was not, no, he was not in any way, shape or form a Christian. He was uh, very opposed to Christian, as I mentioned, why? But uh, he felt there are other things to concern ourselves with now. Once we win the war, then we can move on to other people. But, oh, he said very many, many things that were ne negative towards the Christians. But one must admit he was a very good politician. And he realized that you cannot announce the, these views publicly too much because on the other hand, a lot of the people were Christians, at least nominal Christians, and the Christian church was very strong in Germany. So he realized there's no point in antagonizing some of these people. In fact, he even once said, what I'm doing is the Christian war against certain people. And so he tried to get the Christians on his side. He was, again, he was a good politician and he said things that people wanted to hear. He was in many ways very successful, how someone that was so unfit to run Germany became so successful. Well, his, his rhetoric, his right. words, his speeches, which he, I understand, practiced, spent hours practicing on his speeches, so he got them right. He memorized, or as I know, he memorized most of his speeches. He didn't read off notes. He memorized them and practiced them so he would be very effective, which uh, I guess many people felt he, he was. I, I don't think so because he screamed so much of the time, but... I guess. Well, I mean, I don't know, like his definition of success, if he was a Darwinist, was just a bloodbath. I mean, you talk about uh, him starving out Leningrad, these extermination orders, you talk about his race. Can you talk about um, Darwinism and the, and the Nazi race policies? 
Well, eventually his goal was to conquer the Slavic races, which of course is not a race, it's just a nationality, but Slavic races would include not just the Poles, but also the Russians and the Slavic areas near Russia in Latvia and so on. And uh, the several of the countries, basically, his goal was to subjugate the people and make them slaves to the German people. He wanted to convert much of Russia into farmland so they could produce the crops needed and the land needed in order for the German people to grow and do well. And of course, he called that Lebensraum. He basically felt that the German people need to have large families, which he stressed, and therefore we need this superior race to expand and there's no room in Germany, at least not enough room. So we need the land that's now in Russia, but several uh, large cities, his goal was to basically starve them because well, they're the inferior race, let's, let's eliminate them. There's rebellions and we could just kill a couple thousand and that'll cause the rest of the people to realize that we, you know, we have to obey and we, you know, as slaves we're better off than dead. So therefore we have to do what we can. And so his, his opinion of Slavics was very, very low. Now that was partially the cultural feeling back then relative to, and Darwin of course had nothing to say about the Slavs, but he certainly had a lot to say about inferior races. Right, and I mean, you mentioned one, like the people say that uh, origin of species or descent of man isn't a race book, but I think your quote is, the, the third sole object of his book is to obtain the value of the differences between the so-called races of man. And so the strong over the weak. So you see those same themes uh, in Darwinism as in Nazism. It's really just a carbon copy of their, maybe a politicized view of, of Darwinism. But uh, I mean, the Holocaust too was just an, a complete nightmare. Like, so you just see this implication, like how they were going to just get eliminate in the war in the East so many people. I think one eighth of the Russians ended up dying. Can you talk about what? The, like the Lebensborn things and how they, these strange decisions that were made by Nazi Germany to save some people they thought would be Aryan. Okay, Lebensborn was a basically a nursery which took care of children and they encouraged the Nazi officers to have sex with these women who were declared pure Germans or close to it. And therefore the Nazis didn't mind, I guess, having sex with these attractive young women and these women became pregnant and the children then were raised in these this institution. I'm not sure how many there were, but there's at least one. And now, by the way, we follow these. There's books written about these. And even though they use all this, this so-called criteria to determine who are the superior women and men, and they trace these children that were born from these institutions, and they found out they're just average people. There was nothing really superior about them. They did not turn out to have a large number of uh, incredibly good musicians and artists and poets and writers and scientists and so on. So they were pretty average people. In fact, in many ways, they were not so average people. And as a result, this of course shows that this experiment, uh, Lebensborn failed. But, uh, and they used scientific measurements. They had eye charts, they had nose charts, and they had skin charts, and they had ways of determining which people were part of the superior race and which were part of the inferior races. And so it was, they thought very, very scientific. And of course, back then many scientists went along with this. In fact, a large number of the scientists went along with this and uh, tried to produce a superior race, which again, if you look at cattle and, and pigs and so on, you don't breed your best cattle with your worst, you breed your best with your best. And so likewise, animal breeding, you breed the best with the best. And as a result, you end up with a hoped superior 
breeds of cattle. Well, you can do this with cattle because you're trying to breed specific things like the ability to give milk or have good meat or live to a certain, <laughs> a certain age. With, with humans, there are so many traits that, you know, what are you gonna breed for? A facial appearance or music ability, or, you know, there's all kinds of things you, and you breed for one thing and you lose something else, so. Right, I mean, they've done the breeding things. A lot of inbreeding too, sometimes doesn't work out well either. So there's a, so many factors in human child rearing. I mean, there's a lot of problems there. But you talk about Hitler had his own leading Darwinian scientist. You have a chapter on that. Can you talk about that? Well, there are quite a few leading scientists in Nazi Germany that uh, were, I guess, ahead of their time and knew a lot about Darwinism and about breeding and so on. And Hitler basically uh, relied heavily upon the scientists in general. In fact, the vast majority of scientists went along with the breeding system that uh, Hitler was trying to implement. And therefore he, again, he felt, I'm just going along with the science. I'm just looking at the facts. I'm just looking at the leading scientists in Germany. And of course, many of the world's leading scientists were in Germany at that time. They had a reputation back then and to some degree today of being among the greatest scientists in the world. And so if you look at the early scientists that were doing well, well, many were in Germany training. If you wanted to get a good degree from a good university and you're an American, you went to Germany and you studied at the University of Heidelberg or these other schools. And so they had a, a sterling reputation back then and therefore Hitler just relied upon this. And the scientists came up with these experiments and Hitler thought, well, you know, they're gonna die anyway, so might as well let them do this. The first case was a child that was born horribly deformed. He was blind, I think, and deaf and his body was deformed and mentally retarded. And the doctors wrote a letter to the Fuhrer and said, you know, can we euthanize this child? I mean, this child really is it's suffering now. And he gave them permission. And this basically opened the door to euthanasia programs, which they ended up euthanizing, of course, enormous number of, of Germans who were part of the superior race, but had uh, mental, physical problems and so on. In fact, sometimes they would euthanize people in the in the institutions that had relatively minor problems like Down syndrome and some Down syndrome, of course, have IQs, not normal, but fairly high compared to others. And so uh, they ended up euthanizing almost the entire uh, population of the German uh, mental and other institutions and with the support of the scientists. Right. And that was kind of the beginning of the Holocaust. So that all happened in the 30s. So it was part of that gradualism. So once the Germans accepted that, you know, then even kind of worse things happen. But it is interesting because you mentioned Joseph Mengele, who also was um, uh, really an academic, is my understanding. I think he had a husbandry background. Can you talk about him? Right. He had MD and he got his PhD in evolutionary biology. And so he was an expert in evolution, both an MD and a PhD. And he did quite well as a medical student. And of course, he was the one who went beyond what I guess either imagined and he started to do experiments on twins. The reason he looked at twins was because they have the same genetic background. Identical twins, of course, would, and that's basically what he was looking at was identical twins. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Although he did look at some twins as well. So the genes are controlled. So therefore, what effect does the environment have? And so he did a lot of research in trying to find out, indeed, what, what influence does the environment have? Because he realized the environment had some influence, but the genetic influence was obviously quite great. And he was doing other experiments. Why you're at it? Because these people are going to die anyways. You might, might as well learn something from them. And he was trying to find, for example, uh, ways of changing eye color. You know, because blue is the, I guess they consider it the superior eye color. And so how do you go from brown to blue? What caused the blue eye color? And so he was doing experiments on this as well. And of course, today we recognize these as absurd. And by and large, most of his research was not helpful. And uh, in fact, people are amazed that he would actually do the things he did, like injecting blue dye in the eyes. And right, the ways like, of trying to convert the color. Right, like quack science, border science, like really strange stuff. and really cruel. I think some of the people he experimented on survived, which is really crazy, but he got that name Angel of Death because he saw all the people going into the camps and selected people out to torture. It's just really unbelievable monstrosity. Um, and I mean, you kind of go through the chapter of all these, like Hitler's henchmen and how, uh, how they all just enacted these ideas. So it seems like these ideas or just Hitler, it was just that whole group of Nazis really had the Darwinian outlook. Would you agree oh, with that? Yeah. He had enormous support. And if even like five or 10% of the scientists would say, wait a minute, these ideas are wrong. They're not going to work. There would have been some problems in implementing these ideas. But by and large, we're aware of very few. There's a couple who resisted. In fact, these are well known, the few that did resist. But by and large, very, very few resisted. And many of the heads of departments at major German universities went along with Hitler's ideas. And so I don't think he, he looked at himself and said, look, I'm just applying science. I'm just applying the best German intelligence and German science to deal with these problems. And so he didn't see himself as an outliner in any way. Right. Like they thought they were right at the, at the forefront of science and enacting science, which is really incredible because... It just justified the worst kind of behavior. Why do you call Joseph Goebbels, who was the propaganda chief, the father of the Holocaust? Well, because he was the one that basically said, we've got to convince the people of the necessity of this. And in many ways, the at first, I'm not sure when they began the Holocaust, but the first, what, three or four years, of course, the Nazi Germany lasted 12 years, but the first three or four or five years, it was just a matter of putting some in camps and many ended up in work camps. And so the idea of exterminating these people was not really an idea thought of that by many people, but Goebbels and there are several others who felt basically we need to do something, especially when they conquered Poland. When they conquered Poland, all of a sudden now they had what, six million Jews. So now they had a big problem. Another problem they had was that for many years, for three, four years, I guess, they would basically gather up the Jews. They would voluntarily, okay, all the Jews meet at this department in the, the city. They would meet and then they would take them all out and they'd shoot them and kill them and dig holes, have them dig holes first and shoot them and put them in the holes. And a lot of Germans had a hard time with this. And they realized that, you know, this was very demoralizing for the German, the German soldiers you know, dealing with this not very well. 
it's one thing when you're in a battle and it's me or you, and therefore, you know, I prevail. It's another thing you're taking innocent people, women and children, just shooting them for no reason. And therefore they thought there must be a better way of dealing with this problem. And that's when they came up with the idea of the camps and then we'll move them from the camps to specifically the extermination camps, which was Buchenwald, of course, and Auschwitz and so on. So there are several, I think four or five extermination camps. Yeah, so people were like they were dead within an hour. Right. And this then wasn't done in front of people. It was just done systematically. It was done very mechanically. And therefore, we didn't have to worry about German soldiers getting upset. And they were getting upset and running home to their families and saying, you know, this is what we're doing. We're killing these people. And I, I got blood all over my, my clothes when I killed these people. And I mean, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you wrote in your book, like they killed 1.1 million children. So like they were throwing kids in. There. It was just incredible savagery. Um, and so they had to kind of justify that with the people, but keep it quiet too. It's uh, really un unbelievable. And it, it's uh, now all justified goes back to Darwin. If they were going to have something, it's interesting too, because they thought they were going to have a utopia in Eastern, Eastern Europe. That was their utopia. It was just a slaughterhouse. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you think, you can what are the takeaways of this application of darwinism in nazi germany i mean what do you think the lessons learned are well one is it didn't work and they, we know that and number two is is you got to be careful about dictators that have too much <laughs> too much power right. and number three is is that certainly we there was no clear criteria to determine that jews were inferior and not just the Jews, Jews, of course, but the Poles and gypsies and many other groups were set for extermination. And therefore, this change among scientists, they now today, they'll say, well, evolution's true. Some races are inferior, but not today. Today, they've all managed to become pretty much the same. And so therefore, science, by and large, eliminated the racism from science. Because at first, for in this country, and I collect old textbooks, so I find this interesting to look at old biology books. And these books basically make it very clear that there was a racial hierarchy. And the highest, of course, of course, <laughs> you get a drink of water here. The highest were the US, what is the Anglo-Saxons or something? The right? Caucasians. And Caucasians. then right but next that were Negroes, pretty openly. And then were the uh, Neanderthals. And then were the other groups, Cro-Magnon, and then the, the the Australopithecines, and then of course the monkeys. So these hierarchies were shown in many textbooks for years. And when you look at it, you can see it's obviously racism. In fact, the most famous example, of course, is the book used in the Scopes trial, where they said basically the highest, the superior race is the Caucasians. And then below that, of course, was the Negroes and other races. And therefore this racism was openly taught in the Hunter biology book called Civic Biology, and that was the book at issue in the Scopes trial. And it's interesting. interesting that one of Brian's major concerns, I'm working on a book on this now, by the way, one of Brian's major concerns was we're all equal. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve. Therefore, there is no inferior race. And therefore, as a Christian, he basically said, we have to help those groups that are not doing as well. And uh, his main opposition to the Scopes trial was the teaching of racism. And he made that very clear, and that's very clear in the documents. The core issue was racism. And ironically, the ACLU and Darrow were the ones who fought for teaching racism in the school. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And Brian, of course, taught against it. Now, that doesn't always come out directly, but it's clearly there. It's there, especially in the writings of Mencken, who was one of the uh, writers who did a lot of the reporting of the Scopes trial. Scopes trial. And so it's an important part of it, but it's not, it's not stressed today. They looked at his, his religion. Of course, uh, Brian was only concerned about human evolution. He wasn't concerned about climb evolution or evolution of, of mollusks or other creatures or spiders and so on. He was concerned about human evolution. And the law that they were challenging was dealing with human evolution. And that was the concern of Brian. And of course, obviously, Darrow knew that, and yet he defended that. Now, that's ironic in a way, because uh, Darrow defended the, the uh, Sweet family in Detroit, who was Dr. Sweet was a medical doctor, and he moved into a white neighborhood in Detroit, and there was riots. And to defend himself, he used, that family used a gun, and they killed one of the rioters. And they went to court and Darrow defended Dr. Sweet, who was African-American. And so it's ironic in a way, but he certainly was aware that the whole issue in the Scopes trial was racism. In the books that were very clearly the book they used, not only that book, but other books taught racism. And they had, I mean, you mentioned in this book, too, that some of the uh, racial books came from the U.S. It was uh, Chamberlain, I think, was an influential book in Germany. Right. It was uh, what was his name? William Houston Stewart Chamberlain. Oh, Houston Stewart Chamberlain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So some of that stuff, some of the racial hierarchy stuff in eugenicists are from the U.S. too. There were definitely a significant many. Right. And they use that in the Nuremberg trials. It basically says, look, you're condemning me. Where do we get these ideas from? This book here is where we get that, these ideas from. These were published in America by Americans, and some were translated into German, but many were not. And therefore, why can you blame us for basically putting to use your ideas? We got your ideas. We utilize them to try to improve society. So why condemn us? So this was one of the strongest defenses. Of course, they didn't accept that at the Nuremberg trials, but that was one of the strongest defenses they had. Besides that, they had Supreme Court cases that they cited, American Supreme Court cases. Right. Three generations of imbeciles is enough. Right, Oliver Wendell Holmes, right? Most, maybe one of the most famous cases, yeah. Right. And so so the, they said, how can you condemn us for uh, accepting your court decisions? Right. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, there's, there has to be some soul searching here, too, in the U.S., no doubt. Um, what, uh, is there anything I've missed or anything you'd like to add before we wrap up the discussion? Well, it's, it's still, in a sense, a problem today because they still push the idea of evolutionary progression. In fact, there's just an article which came out which basically did a study of Americans' beliefs, and they found... <laughs> Now, for the first time in America, the majority of Americans are Darwinists. And wow. uh, to illustrate that, they showed this, what they call a progression. And the progression was we start with apes and we end up with humans. And, and so they're still, they're still showing this idea. Right. 
But I mean, you showed the cultural influence of Darwinism is uh, very profound and really negative. I mean, just the, the, the example of Nazi Germany, just a huge, massive red flag for humanity. You got to really be careful about what you're teaching the kids and how that plays out. And I think that this book shows like, better watch out your leaders too, right? Yeah, my, my, the book that you're citing is one of my best-selling books, which has done really, really well. It's in 350 libraries, I think. And so it's done better than almost any book. Well, done better, sorry, than any book that I published. And I've up, up to 50 books now. 50 books, a while, quite a yeah. bit. But the book on uh, Hitler's Darwinian worldview was very popular and very well received. There were a couple of negative comments on Amazon, but by and large, most of them were very positive. So yeah, five, mostly five-star reviews. I think you had 161 five-star, or was it 61 five-star reviews? I, so I yeah, it's very, very well responded to. Again, the title of the book is Hitler and the Nazi Darwinian Worldview, How the Nazi Eugenic Crusade for a Superior Race Caused the Greatest Holocaust. In what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. History by Dr. Jerry Bergman. That was published in 2013. Thank you very much, Thank uh, Jerry. You. Great to be here. All right, great. Take care. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Let's see if I can stop. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.